I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is The Helm, which is a lifestyle brand committed to elevating and investing in female entrepreneurs. They sell a curated selection of female-founded brands on their website that speaks to an entirety of a woman's life. They sell clothing, clean beauty, motherhood-related products, and many categories of items, all from brands founded by women. And they also have an investing arm that has invested almost $1.5 million in women-backed companies. Their website is thehelm.co, and they actually just recently featured featured this very podcast in their list of 22 podcasts by women that are worth listening to or something like that, which was very, very nice of them. Anyway, I hope you enjoy and thank you to The Helm for sponsoring. I had such a good time talking to Chandler Baker, who is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Whisper Network, which was a Reese's book club pick. I literally had like 50 quotes printed out that I wanted to talk to her about and felt like I was just rambling trying to get them all in, which of course I didn't. But her book, Whisper Network, spoke to me and like anybody who's ever tried to balance sort of work and mom life and all the rest, or just mom life, not that it's a just, but anyway, I had so much to talk to her about. Chandler lives in Austin with her husband and children and works as a corporate attorney. She's also the author of five young adult novels, and Whisper Network is actually her adult debut. So enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Chandler. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I am excited to talk to you for so many different reasons. One, your book, obviously, so much to talk about. This whole working mom chorus, I can't wait to delve into. But two, on your Instagram, like I feel like we share so many uh, favorite books. <laughs> like I was like everything you were like showing a picture of, I'm like, that one too. Yes, that one. So anyway, I was like, I love when I cross paths with someone who I feel like has similar book taste and all the rest. So. Well, I'm sure, I mean, how many, how many books do you try to read a year? Do you have like a number? <sighs> I mean... I don't have an exact number. I don't finish every book anymore. At least like 200, I would say, 150. Well, I'm doing seven episodes a week, although I'm going to slow down. I can't finish them all, as I said, but some are children's books. So some are middle grade, some are advice. Yeah. How many novels? I'd say, I don't know, 100, 50 to 100, 100, or at least prepare for them. Yeah. So how many books do you think you read a year? Oh, I go for 30. (laughs) So not nearly as as well read, but this is my this is what I do now. I didn't used yeah. to read this many books. Like for okay. fun, I wouldn't have read this many books. I didn't have time. It's hard to find time to read. <laughs> but we do. But we do. We have to. <laughs> so the Whisper Network is now coming out in paperback, which is really exciting. Tell me about I read a lot about how you decided to write this, the way in which you wrote it, which is so interesting. Tell me about the writing process and What made you want to tell this particular story? Sure. I mean, before this, I had been a young adult writer. So I've been writing for teens. And I think that I started writing for teens because I started writing kind of seriously in college. And I was much closer to a teen myself. And also it was kind of this renaissance time period of young adult literature. It was like, you know, John Green and Gail Foreman and all these great people were coming out. So I was reading a ton of that. And then sort of fast forward to right before I started Whisper Network, I was becoming really involved in my own book club. We were reading a lot of women's fictions. We were reading a lot of thrillers. And I think it's kind of natural that your ideas marinate 
in the books you're being exposed to. So, you know, I sort of had this idea of almost the title Whisper Network. And it was, you know, right after the shitty media men list came out. And as a lawyer, I was thinking a lot about the ethics of that list. And what was the role of due process? Was there any role of due process? What were people's damages? So I was, I was very curious about that. And of course, I don't know about you, but every time I was together with my girlfriends, we would find ourselves talking about the Me Too movement and kind of what happened. What have you experienced? How have you responded to those experiences? How do you wish you had responded to that experience? How do you relate? How do you not relate to the women coming forward? So all those were kind of just swirling together when I got the idea to try to write a book about my industry in particular, which I was a corporate lawyer. And I'd been seeing a lot of stuff coming out in Hollywood and a few other industries, but I hadn't seen a lot in sort of the lawyer finance type space. And I knew that that was something that I could write well about and with authority. So, and then I started relating it to my experience as a working mother and broadening it to not just working motherhood, but what are the particularities of women's experience in the workplace in general, which felt like it was very much centered around me too at the moment. But I think that there are so many other sort of challenges that women can relate to. And a lot of people had this feeling of like, okay, you're, you're seeing sexual harassment, you're seeing that's a part of our daily lives, but wait, wait, while we have your attention, I want you to see all these other things that are really tough about being a working woman right now. So I think the first thing, the first line I wrote in the book was, we fell asleep with the heat of laptops burning our thighs. And that was the first line I wrote in the book. And that really kind of set the tone for me to write the rest of the book and explore these issues. And of course, I wanted to do it in like a juicy murder mystery type of way so that it was fun. (laughs) But it was very cathartic in a lot of ways. I bet. It's like you combined every element of successful fiction into one book. It's great. Like you have the working mom, but not even just the corporate mom. I mean, like I don't work in an office. I don't work mm-hmm. in, in an institution the way you have it here and like the the pressure of senior partners and all the rest of it. But just the competing demands of kids and work in any yeah. form and even just like getting through the day, you just like put, you made anybody who would read this book feel completely understood and validated. And, and it was clear that you knew this so well. I mean, you weren't like somebody coming from the outside in like, oh, like, let me analyze working motherhood. It was like all about like Moana and like like the exact things that like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that like I went through myself. I'm like, oh, thank you for putting this in a, in a book. <laughs> and then yeah. of course, all the elements of the story itself. And even like the format, even like the smattering of emails and transcripts. And I don't know, it was just so great. It was such a I'm not surprised it was like an instant bestseller and all the rest. So, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I felt very deep in it, in the working motherhood thing at the time I was writing it. I mean, I still am now in a different way. I don't work full time as a lawyer anymore. So like you, it's changed a little bit how like the different pressures, but I still feel sort of the push pull that you're describing. And now I just had another baby. So I guess I'm I'm in it. I'm in it again. (laughs) (laughs) But you raise so many interesting issues, like both about women's roles in general and also all that sexual harassment, the whole 
both areas together. So there was one passage I was just hoping to read about secrets, which I feel like is such a theme to the book. But we had been programmed to trade in secrets. Our leading deodorant brand promised not to tell. Our magazine covers hawked the secrets to clearer skin, better hair, toned legs, and longer orgasms. Our mothers passed down recipes with secret ingredients. Even our feminism, second wave, couched as it was in our feminine mystique, felt purposefully, smartfully veiled in secrecy. Our motto had long been, keep it between us. And we did for generations. And then you continued and said... We started to wonder by whispering whose secrets were we keeping anyway, ours or theirs? Whose interests did our silence ultimately protect? The answer came to us gradually. So great. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very proud of that passage. It took me forever. You know, it's kind of what caps off the book. And I... It was kind of the last thing I did and I had to go to a hotel and I stayed by myself for a night while my husband watched our our daughter and I finally got it and it felt really good. Wow. So yeah, tell me more about how you, in the process of being a working mother as a lawyer, you also pulled off writing this book. So it was like so meta. You did like everything at once. How did you do it? When did you find the time? Um, tell me of the whole narrative of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd had some practice about at it because, like I said, I'd been writing YA novels for, for some time before and working as a lawyer. So I've been sort of good about finding those little nooks of time. I always set a timer for 15 minutes. And if I have 15 minutes that I can avoid looking at my email or looking at the internet, I will just you know, go after it those 15 minutes. So, you know, I would really have to create time. So sometimes it would be like, okay, I'm going to drive to the office. I'm going to drive to the law firm. I'm not going to listen to a podcast. I'm not going to listen to an audiobook. I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm just going to think about what I need to do for the day writing wise. And I'm going to use that time in my brain. And that way, when I sit down at my desk, I'll take 15 minutes, I'll get it out. And you know, hopefully it'll be really productive. And sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. But, you know, and then of course there's the, you know, writing at lunch while you're scarfing food down (laughs) at your desk. And then, you know, just trying to shift around my lawyer work. If there were things that, you know, didn't take as much brain power, I might do those after bedtime for the kids and shift a little bit of time forward for my writing and sneak that in because that's very brain intensive. So it was really about just finding those pockets of time and taking advantage of them. I always say you can get a lot more done in 15 minutes than you think you can with the right amount of focus. Although I also understand not everybody writes that way and not everybody can write that way. I just happen to be able to. So it's been very much daily diligence for me as opposed to binge writing. And then, of course, there has been a, a few times where I've, you know, I've gone to the hotel or something like that when I really had to knock something out. And I've been very lucky to be able to do that. But yeah, I mean, just trying to, when I get ideas, I either write them on my phone or write them in my notebook that I have dedicated to the project. And then when I'm at my computer, I really just try to, to hit it hard during, during those 15-minute sprints. So how do you, when you know you have 15 minutes... Do you mm-hmm. have, and you have those times in the car when you're plotting it out. Did you mm-hmm. already have like a master plan for everything and you were just trying to analyze like one particular slice? Or did you, was that also part of figuring out the outline or what comes next plot wise? Like how, how spontaneous versus planned was the whole trajectory of the book? 
Mm-hmm. You know, in writing, people usually say they're they're plotters or they're pantsers, meaning they fly by the seat of their pants. And I'm sort of, I think, a recovering pantser because my deadlines are getting so tight that I'm trying to do a little bit more plotting. And I sold this on proposal. So meaning I didn't sell it on the entire manuscript. I sold it on a synopsis and some pages. So I did have a pretty detailed synopsis, but a lot of times when you get into the writing of the book, you realize that things need to change. So, you know, the entire ending of the book changed from what I sold it on. And so I kind of knew where I was going. I had a roadmap, but I found that also I was kind of going by like the headlights of a car. Like I could only see so far in front of me. So I would think about pieces as they came and I would have my you know, at certain points, I remember sitting and I like couldn't see the book anymore, right? It just gets so big that you can't see it. And I have, you know, a cork board and I was like writing down note cards and actually physically trying to be tactile about it and rearranging different plot points because I've got three different point of view characters and you want them to come, you want them to feel somewhat even and four before. (laughs) Uh, You want them to feel somewhat even. And, you know, it's really tough to keep that in your head. So it's, it's a variety of different ways to kind of sort of beat the system and how to get it plotted and, and take advantage of those times. So with your sort of commentary on all the things that are expected of a working woman, right? Everything down from you know, getting your highlights done regularly and getting to the gym and like all the things that like maybe people don't talk about but are expected. You were like, look at the headshots on the website of the law firms. Like you have yeah. to you have to somehow get that done but not talk about it and just it has to be included in, in the day to day. And what should we like take away from that? Like should women not have to do that? Should they be rewarded for it in a way? Like come like, hey, you pulled all that off. Like like, where can we go with that? I mean, your analysis of it was so spot on. But like, now what? Like, <laughs> you're right. Like, yeah. Now, now what? Like, what, what should we do with all this Gosh, commiseration? That's, that's, <laughs> that's such a good question. I struggle with it so much, too. I mean, like I find myself struggling with it right now, post baby weight. I'm like, I've got other things to do. And yet I also buy into some idea that I'm supposed to be attacking this problem and it takes time and it's something to add to my day when I don't really have time. And yet I can't unhook my brain from it the way I want to unhook my brain from it. I can't unhook my brain from wanting to get highlights. And I'm like, is that, where is that coming from? I think the thing that bothers me most about the problem is like, is men's perception. And I often feel like men don't want to listen to women they don't like looking at in a certain way. Like Artie in the book has this observation. And I think that's where like they intersect. They like men want to see put together, whatever that means. You know, they'd like to see you dressed up. It's like in a dress, whatever, not all men, I'm sure. But there is a feeling that like you said, it's expected in some way that it's part of the job to be pulled together in some part of the beauty narrative. So <laughs> I would like men to rewire their brains. <laughs> Does that sound feasible? You know, I, I think it's, you know, I hear a lot of women that are like, okay, we have to raise our sons 
to be better allies. We have to make them more conscious of these things. And that's the way forward. And then I hear other women at the same book clubs that I visit or whatever saying, well, we can't wait until everybody's sons are grown up. Like that's way too long. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think more immediately, I would love to just see more women at the top and more women not opting out of the workforce before they reach that level. And my sort of pet idea is that it comes back to paternity leave. And I feel like men need to take paternity leave because we just create this system where women are the defaults in their home and their lives become like so untenable that the only way they can think to fix them is like, they're not going to get rid of their kids. Those things aren't going to go away. So they take themselves out of the workforce. And until we see, I think, a lot of women, a lot of women, as many women at the top as men I don't know that we're going to see that culture sea change that we need to make some of those things more normalized to really shift the expectations of women in the workplace. All right. Well, if you find the rewiring, you know, that can, uh, you just post it on Instagram and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I actually found it really interesting. You talked to one of the characters, now I'm forgetting who it was, but somebody was outlining her sort of dream man, right? And you had this whole paragraph of like lists of things. And one of the things that you said when you were saying like, could this dream man have this quality was that if you recommended a book to him, he wouldn't need another person to validate it. He would just go ahead and read it because you said so. <laughs> oh my gosh, this bothers me so much. <laughs> Obviously, it's something that I experienced with my husband, but also with like my friend's husbands. And I think I'm not recommending a book that I don't think you would like. I'm not recommending something that's outside of what I feel your tastes are. And I read a lot. So just listen to me. And then it'll come back like two years later. Like, have you heard of this book? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I have. I have heard of it. (laughs) Do you experience that or do people listen to you fully now? I mean, no one in my family listens to me. (laughs) Is your husband a reader? My husband is not a reader. Sometimes I read books out loud to him that I think he'll really love. Occasionally he'll listen to audiobooks. Yeah. So it's not so much that he doesn't take my advice. I actually, and this is like embarrassing to admit, he is actually, and it's not usually about books, but he gives me advice and he has to say it and I have to wait maybe sometimes in here for somebody else <laughs> until I take his advice. And he's like, why when like Joe Schmo comes in and says like, you should get a bookshelf there and I've been saying it for three months. Like why now? Because like that person said it was a good idea. And I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I just need multiple people to say the same thing, but it is frustrating. Yeah. So maybe that's a little bit built into all of us. (laughs) No, or there's just something wrong with me probably, you know. (laughs) Perfect man. (laughs) But no, I just thought that was so funny because I was like, clearly she's had this happen in some way. (laughs) You also wrote about time so well. And just, you know, this is something obviously that I have thought about so much from down to the name of my podcast to just like everything I do is about how to help women who are so time starved, right? Like we're all, there's just not enough time for us to have kids and be smart women and like pursue goals and careers and stay fit. And like, there's just no, you just, it's like impossible. The math like doesn't add up. And you said like, none of us had time for anything. It seemed if time was currency, we were all going broke. And then you went on to say, like, sometimes we'd see a book hit the New York Times bestseller list with a promising title, like, I don't know how she does it, or overwhelmed. And for a few weeks, we'd pass it between us, trying to use the advice like a trendy new diet 
plan. But for us, there were, how did the pundits put it, institutional roadblocks. And then you say how time was a finite resource. So who should get the most of us? Those of us who were moms had the most compelling argument. Consider the children. But what about the rest? So it's this whole notion of, like, how do we do it with time that won't expand? Like, I don't know that there's an answer to that, but I love that you address it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, when I when I first had my daughter, that book, I Know How She Does It, really did help me. <laughs> but so it really did help me find extra time. I mean, they thought of creative solutions, like, you know, just not going into the office as long as you could get your work done and not asking permission for that from people because people don't want to higher ups don't necessarily want to make that decision or feel like they're making that decision broadly. So kind of, if you have the ability like me as a lawyer, just to not do it, then, okay, two days a week, you're not going to go into the office and you're not going to get dressed for that day, right? You're just going to be in your, you know, your scrubs for the day and you've saved your commute time and you've saved your time to do your hair and put on makeup and get ready. And okay, you found yourself an extra hour and a half or something out of the day. A lot of people though, understandably, I think find that thought really depressing. Like, okay, you have to scrap for this little time and you're just <laughs> like, like gobbling up any extra 15 minutes and your answer is just, it's on women. It's incumbent upon women to figure it out. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes is that it doesn't feel necessarily that there's a counterpart in gender politics to to that point. And it seems like we are, we are the ones that are tasked with figuring out our time. And that looks like multitasking. And that looks like letting part things that would make us happy or feel relaxed, letting those things go. And I haven't totally found an answer for that right now. I'm writing a book sort of about the division of domestic labor and dual income families. So it's very much on my mind right now. (laughs) Nonfiction or fiction? Fiction, fiction. Yeah. So yeah. So it was very much on my mind, but I, I don't have a solid answer other than sometimes those books can be helpful, but I don't think it should just be a female problem. That's true. No. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every, I mean, I don't know. I thought maybe that the quarantine when we were all home would make things easier in a way, right? That it would take all the, at least like the running around. I don't know about you, like I live in New York City and there was just, there's always running around and racing and logistics and I have Mm -hmm. four kids. So like all the, you know, just maybe if we were just in one place, it could be like a throwback to Little House on the Prairie and like, (laughs) but time still evaporates. Like there's still not enough time, so... I don't know. Yeah. Have you found a shift in that or has it helped or hurt? Or I think I thought that it would make it more visible, sort of the the work women do. Like I, I thought it would make it more tangible, the push-pull of women working and trying to mother and take care of the house. I thought that that would help. And I think in some ways it has in my personal household. But I've read a lot of think pieces about how it's just made it maybe a little bit more obvious, but actually more has fallen on women as we've had to start homeschooling and all these different things. And that those still seem to be largely statistically born by, born by women. And, you know, a lot of people are comparing it, especially if school doesn't start in the fall as women having to take like almost a, another maternity leave and the way that can set your career back. And that's really disheartening to hear, I think. So 
But certainly when quarantine started, I did kind of enjoy the the family time and the simplicity. And we were like playing charades and really making an effort to make our days different. Now, I think some of that novelty has faded a little. I didn't mean to say I didn't enjoy the family time. Yeah. I did. I mean, there were definitely some perks to it, right. the situation that was led by sort of fear and, mm-hmm. you know, self-protection. Yeah. But I don't know. I just felt like I didn't find swaths of time that I expected to uncover in some way. But anyway. <laughs> definitely just, not. I mean, and time just goes right now, I think. Yeah, so true. So are you, how close are you to finishing this next book? And what else do you have on the docket coming up for you? It will come out July 2021. So a year from now. So I'm sort of finishing up. I have a deadline July 15th and finishing up like sort of my second round revisions on that manuscript. And I'm excited about it. And then what else? Oh, I just sold a young adult book that we haven't announced yet. And that will come out next year as well. So exciting. It's been busy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Ooh, I guess my favorite advice is find friends, find a community. I have uh, another author that I'm that we met online and we have since become real life friends. She lives in LA and we start out every day and I email her my goals for the day and she emails her goals, just what you want to accomplish. Every weekday we do it. And at the end of the day, we check in again and see if we accomplish that. And I just think it's nice to sort of create some normalcy in writing, make it feel in some ways a little bit more task oriented and not so huge as writing a novel. And also writing can be so solitary. And I just think you really need some people to share it with that you tell each other your struggles. And of course, now, by now, our emails have evolved that we're talking about what we're doing as moms today, what we're doing, you know, with our spouses and all those things. But we still have that. And we've kept it up for, I don't know, six years now. Wow, that's amazing. Like a writing buddy. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Yes. That's awesome. Highly recommend. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chandler. I feel like I am going to be thinking about you at all different stages of the day after reading like all the commentary on mom life, right? Just even this morning, like writing my kids a little note for their pretend camp, which is really just like them in the backyard, like have fun at camp. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when you wrote about in the book, how, you know, mom's and the perfectionism of having to write things on neck. I don't know. I just feel like, I, at least I feel like just super understood <laughs> by you. So thanks. Thank you. What a compliment. I know I was, I had to pump for the first time because quarantine means I had just been with my son and I haven't had to, and I had to pump and I was like, oh, Grace <laughs> from the book. Yeah. yeah I'm like here I am again <laughs> pumping, which I think is the worst part of new momhood. But yes, I know yeah. it, it hits us all, right? Yes. I could do a whole nother podcast on, on pump, the Pumping Chronicles, <laughs> but I won't. I'll yeah. spare you. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms No Time to Read Books, and thanks for your book. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. This episode has been sponsored by The Helm, thehelm.co, a lifestyle brand committed to elevating and investing in female entrepreneurs with 
tons of products by women founders. Definitely go check them out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.